Hi, my name is Wendy Weber. And my name is Sydney Bowie. Welcome to Nobody Chooses Homelessness. A podcast dedicated to changing the cultural narratives about homelessness and shedding light on how we can mobilize to be part of the solution. In this podcast, we'll talk to everyday people, experts, entrepreneurs, and activists who are helping their unhoused neighbors find their way home again. We work for City Relief, a nonprofit organization dedicated to serving people facing extreme poverty and homelessness. City Relief shows up weekly as a mobile outreach offering people free meals, supplies, and connection to resources for housing, employment, and health care. More importantly, we offer people friendship, community, and belonging. We both have years of experience working systemically and on the ground to end homelessness. We believe that in order to end homelessness, it's going to take a holistic approach with people from all walks of life helping their neighbors in need. Today, we are thrilled to introduce you to Bindia Malhatra. Bindia has an impressive professional career that spans across London, New York, Hong Kong, and Singapore, where she has advised financial institutions and other capital market participants on various aspects of finance, acquisition, and disposition of financial assets. Her extensive experience with loan agreements and repurchase and warehouse arrangements has made her a go-to person in the industry. Currently, Bindia is the team lead on a recontracting project at MasterCard, where she continues to excel and make an impact in the industry. But that's not all. Bindia is also a co-founder of a nonprofit organization called One Always Matters. The organization exists to bring hope and home to people reclaiming their lives from injustice, oppression, or conflict. Bindia's work with One Always Matters is truly remarkable and a testament to the fact that one can make a difference in multiple aspects of their life. She has consistently served at City Relief Outreaches as a volunteer and now as a board member. We are honored to have her on our show today. Well, hello, Bindia. Welcome. We're so glad to have you here. Thank you for having me. So we would love to know a bit about your background, where you're from, where you grew up, what that was like for you. So I was born in uh, the UK, in London, West London, and my parents are from India, so they moved from India in 1967. So I was born and raised there in a working class family. I um, can tell you a bit about my career. I became a lawyer in one of the um, top um, UK law firms, and then that brought me to New York in the year 2000. It was supposed to be here for two years. I just fell in love with New York, didn't want to leave. And here I am 22 years later. So at what point in your life did you start becoming aware of homelessness as a concept um, as you kind of began your journey um, to where you are now? I would say that I always saw homeless people sitting you know, around on the streets. So I was always like knew they were there, but I didn't ever think I could do anything about it or how to engage. I just walked past them as if they weren't there, not because I didn't see them. I just didn't know how to do anything, uh, what I could do about it. So you knew, like, obviously aware of homelessness, right? I'm wondering, as you came to a place where you saw that there was something you could do about it, and you ended up volunteering with City Relief, what was that first experience like? And was there anything from your upbringing that kind of informed at least what you kind of thought it was going to be like? Some 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 kind of ideas or notions that you came into it thinking um, your experience was going to be? And, and if that ended up being what you experienced or was there differences or just what was that first experience uh, volunteering with City Relief like? 
So I didn't actually um, volunteer, like thinking, oh, I'm going to go and do a homeless outreach. It was just a friend. I felt during the pandemic, I needed to do more. And a friend said, oh, hopefully New York has two slots for an organization called City Relief. So we thought, oh, let's just sign up. So I think prior to um, volunteering, I would say that I wouldn't know what to engage. I always thought that homeless people wanted just money. Um, and I was also a bit fearful that they might, I don't know, like swear or get violent or something. So I just completely avoided them. So then I came to City Relief and my first experience was um, serving on the bus. So I, f- I feel like City Relief does such a brilliant job of placing you where they think you would be most comfortable. And I think it must have been obvious that I was a bit clueless. So they put me on the bus And my first experience was all the homeless people that came up, they were just so grateful, so kind, you know, just lovely and grateful that we were there um, helping them and providing them with things. So I think I was quite surprised at what the organization was doing for these people because um, City Relief, you know, as you know, is in the same place every week. So they're reliable and you know, they create community and they're dependable. And I could feel that in the in the friends that we had, you know, c- coming to the bus. So as you're from the UK, what does homelessness there look like compared to here in New York City? I don't know what it looked like because I didn't notice it growing up at university. I think it would be more in central London. I was brought up in a suburb. But I would say that now, like I went back last summer And I noticed it everywhere and it looked quite similar to me, but I I just saw it everywhere. I didn't, it didn't didn't seem different. Now that it's something that you've encountered and engaged with, now you see it. Yeah, now I see it. Lydia, I have the uh, pleasure of knowing a little bit about like some insight in your story and even what you were saying about your first, uh, the first time you went to volunteer, like your, your walk to the to the outreach and kind of what you were thinking as you were getting there, going from, you know, that first time coming out to volunteer to where you are now becoming an advocate, um, having your own nonprofit now, you know, actually being on the board. What was that process like that brought you from someone who, you know, I saw beginning to see that there was a, 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 a issue and then wanting to actually do something about it and just being involved with what we were doing here at City Relief? to becoming really intricately involved in, in how we serve and what we do? How how that process happened for you? I felt like the first interaction was a feel good for me. I wanted to just come back and do it more. So it was, you know, it was a two-way thing. We're, we're serving our, our friends, our guests on the street, you know, City Relief, our volunteers. But I would go away from it each time just, I don't know, just felt really happy and like did something that was so meaningful and it was so appreciated, but it was only like three hours of my time. So because I loved it and I love the community that City Relief creates too. So it's like we're all part of something big together. So I just started signing up every time um, my son was at school. So he went, did the hybrid model. I found myself coming on Wednesdays, Fridays. I wasn't working at that point as a lawyer for that year. So I just started coming more and more. And I found that City Relief, I I think they're very good at um, gauging where you are and how comfortable you are, and then also stretching you. So, you know, I went from serving the soup and the drinks to, I remember 
one of the leaders saying, oh, Bindia, would you like to come step out of the bus and, you know, and maybe pray for people if you feel comfortable or um, do pre-screen sheets, just get their basic information. So then I, you know, I was outside the bus. And then as I started doing more pre-screens, I just, I don't know if it's just like the lawyer in me, but I wanted to um, see it all through and just learn more. And um, and then one of the leaders once said, or, or Josiah said to the leader, can you get her trained up so, you know, she can follow through and do life care? So I just think I just got more and more involved and it was just so natural. Um, but what I wanted to do was build relationships with our homeless friends. And it was just so easy to do because the organization provides you with those opportunities when you volunteer. Okay, so for our listeners who don't know, can you walk us through what does a pre-screen mean? Where do they? Where do you take uh, our guests? What does a life care visit look like? Can you just walk us through that? What a guest could experience at an, one of our outreaches? Sure. So um, you know, the guests would get into a queue, and there would be someone just taking very basic information, just their you know name and um, initial. And asking, you know, um, just just like explaining this is, you know, how how it all runs here. And if you need any extra help, you can go to a particular table um, or reach out to someone with a lanyard. So then that would show them that in addition to the food and drink and the socks and the mask that you're giving out, there are actually other resources that they can be connected to. Because that's, you know, I see that as the point. You're not just providing them with things, but you're also trying to improve their life and help them with other things that they may need. So the pre-screen sheet has, you know, a whole list of services that um, we can provide. So you would have, you know, medical, rehab, ID, you know, clothing, showers, help with accommodation, you know, shelters. So just a, a great array of services that we can help connect them to. So that is what pre-screen would be. I just go through and go through the list and see if they needed help, you know, with anything. And then uh, a light care visit. What does that look like? Yeah. So then um, now I do them, but what what you would do is if you're kind of a new volunteer, you take the basic information and then you would find someone, you know, one of the, the staff or someone who does life care visits. And then they would sit with the, with the guest and actually then those would be the next steps to trying to resolve the issue or take it as far as you can. Now, some of our guests don't have phones, but they come regularly. So they go into um, a system, you know, Apricot, and everything is registered. So you can look up all the t- times they visited and whoever's helped them and how far we've got um, in trying to fix an issue um, or solve an issue for them. So the life care would be connecting them to specific things. So for example, last week, there was a couple actually that was really sad. They had just stopped. They just weren't able to pay rent and they just become homeless a month ago, but they had their domestic partnership certificate with them. So, you know, one of the partners for City Relief is NILAG um, Legal Services. So after understanding their, their story, I took them to NILAG and then NILAG were able to direct them immediately to get a room together as a couple. 
Um, another example could be ID. You know, people have just lost their ID. It's been stolen. And it's really the absolute basic to be able to get anything done in New York. I mean, without ID, you, you, you can't even access your own finances and money, you know, things that are actually rightfully yours. So the other thing we do is we have the forms for the ID. Um, we have paperwork that we can complete. We set up an appointment for our guests. Um, so then that's like one step in many that they need to try and get back on track. At City Relief, we aren't the only ones in the business of helping people. This podcast is brought to you by our longtime supporters and friends at Buttafuoco and Associates. They are dedicated to helping people rebuild their lives after a serious injury. They are a national injury law firm that has won over 500 million in verdicts and settlements for people struggling to overcome medical malpractice, construction accidents, auto accidents, injuries, wrongful death, and workers' compensation. Their team of personal injury attorneys has a genuine passion for seeking justice, and they understand the hardships that come with debilitating injuries that change the course of someone's life. If you or a loved one has experienced a serious injury, our friends at Buttafuoco and Associates will take care of you. Contact them at 1-800-NOWHURT.com or 1-800-669-4878. Again, just you you have become an integral part of what we do. I know when I first started, you had already been volunteering for some time. And I I don't know if I realized you were a volunteer. Like, I think I thought you were on staff just because of how, like, into everything you were and connecting with um, connecting with our guests and connecting them to, you know, to the resources that were there. Volunteering, coming out and being a part of what we do on outreach, uh, I would imagine that can be pretty different from what your life is and what you experience as a lawyer. So are there any ways that you've kind of found to, to merge the two? I would say that, as a lawyer, as a transaction lawyer, you want to get things done. And so I think I bring that to volunteering. So it's two things. I want to get things done, but I also realize that part of um, the the experience with our guests is really community. You know, they want to be seen. And what you realize is actually a lot of them don't even want anything. They just want friendship and community so it's like this balance between I want to get things done, but also I just want to really build a relationship and be in the moment. And I would say the thing I love the most about um, City Relief, or, well, not the most, but is like I can really be in the moment. I'm not thinking about anything else other than talking to a particular person. You know, I don't have like emails and phone ringing and texts and messages. It's just just the person in front of me. And I just really enjoy that so much because I don't know, it's just so two way and it's relationship building. And I love coming to the outreach and I've got all these friends that are just happy to see me and I'm happy to see them. And, you know, they bring little gifts along. There's a particular person that gives me the newspaper. And I just love the fact that he comes with a gift and he has someone to give it to, um, you know, and, in the week, he's probably had a thousand people, thousand people that have just walked past him and not even noticed him. So, so you talk about people looking for community, and you can provide that, and you love that. So, unpack for our listeners that sense of community, like the whole city relief vibe, and how there's a community feel there. What, what is for someone who's never experienced it? What is that like? Yeah. So, what um, and I had volunteered in other places. 
So when you um, arrive at any of the outreaches, you're greeted by the outreach team. And you know, everyone's just like so friendly and upbeat. Um, there's like good music playing. So you feel like you're in a really comfortable, pleasant, actually like an, it's like a nice place to be. Everyone's smiling. So you start feeling good and start relaxing. And then um, as you meet, as you, as you watch the guests, many of them have very good relationships with the um, Sishiwili people. So you see people like hugging each other and which is just so nice because that's like a like meaningful um, relationship. You see guests asking for specific people. So, you know, you know that they've come for a mission, for a chat with somebody or someone helping them. So just find out that the two hours are just, look, they are intense. It's not, I was going to say joyful, but it's not, I mean, it's also very intense because you've got a limited time. You've got a lot of people that want help. You also have people that are frustrated. You know, they're frustrated with the system. But I feel like the atmosphere created by City Relief is just upbeat, kind, loving, you know, caring. We're here for you. We're here at this time to try and help you and then to try and carry, you know, to take that forward as well when when you don't see us. Yeah, our our CEO, you've probably heard Josiah say that we want to create a place where you can sit down and have a meal together. We have a set of tables and chairs and our staff and our guests can sit down as opposed to we are giving you soup, you receive it. And it's very transactional. We want it to be much more relational. Like if if I Sydney and I went for coffee and I said, can I buy you a coffee? That's not a transactional. That's because we are having coffee together and we're continuing. We're having conversation, continuing our friendship. Yeah, I really appreciate that. So as we're thinking about the communal kind of aspect of, of the outreach and serving, I think, um, you know, you, uh, what Chelsea Park and then really the Bronx, I think about the Bronx being one of the places that is so, you go and it's so familial in how we serve. And I, I've, I've likened it to being like, it's not like we're going out and doing outreach. It's like we're coming together with the community to do outreach, like we're all doing it together. But that idea of community, that idea of even like family, um, are there any ways that you have in your journey becoming a part and becoming an advocate for those struggling with homelessness? Are there any ways that you've been able to bring your family along in this endeavor to, to care for those um, who, are, who are kind of going without? Well, there's a couple of stories. So John is actually going to be 80, but I met him, I think I met him a year and a half ago. He was um, 78 when I met him and he had been homeless for 20 years. I don't know what happened. Um, it might be a little bit dementia, but in 2015, he stopped collecting all his money. He stood out to me because he was just so old, but so old and gentle. And I mean, I think that's one difference with the UK. You don't see older people on the streets you know, you just would never see that because they have benefits and access to housing. So John was coming weekly and it would just always break my heart. And then I started building a relationship with him, but it was very gentle because I didn't really know him. And, you know, other than just, hi, how are you? Would you like like an extra sweater or something? There was nothing more. And then he came back one day and um, he just looked awful. He, he didn't come for about a month and I was hoping he'd got into a hotel shelter. And he came and he had a, um, 
sling on because he got beaten up outside Chelsea Park in the middle of the night with a plank and his arm, he got his, his arm had been broken. So that made, I, I mean, I was just left devastated. And um, I remember coming home that night and just full of emotion and calling one of the city relief leaders. And I just couldn't even speak. I was so distraught. And then on Friday, I came to the bus. And the moment I saw everybody, I burst into tears. And they just all gathered around me. And they said, Bindia, whatever you want to do, we are here to support you. And that was just like so special. Like no one said, oh, we can't do this. We can't do that. Oh, we've known him for ages. Oh, he liked, you know, there was none of that. It was whatever's touched your heart, we're here to support you. So that began the journey to get John off the streets, get him into um, accommodation, which we did. So that was amazing. Two weeks later, um, mid-March, he was in his own room on the east side in a safe haven. And then just walking with him, he used to come to our home every day. So that's how my family got involved. You know, at first, Paul said, um, who's coming upstairs to our apartment? And I was like, oh, I promise you, he's just so gentle. And then my son just fell in love with him, and so did my dog. So he used to come every day. And then that started the fight for him to get his ID, to get his birth certificate. And I would say um, less than a year later of literally making calls on his behalf daily, weekly, you know, he actually got a ginormous check and was put in his own affordable housing and now he is lives 10 blocks away and is very part of our our home but i also work with the social worker um just to make sure that like my housekeeper goes and does his cleaning and takes him shopping once a week and and then john has a timetable so he knows when he can come to my home every week for lunch or for dinner so that's how our families come on board there and then in the bronx there's this wonderful um family a, a single mother who is living in a shelter. Um, she came across from Honduras with basically two kids, one on each side, walked across the river at the border and was pregnant. So we met her when her ch- she was pregnant and she had her child is now one year old, the little one. And I just love that family so much. Um, they're so joyful. As Sydney said, you know, it's like a, it's like a big family that's there together. And, you know, my son's too young to volunteer. I mean, he's, he's, he's 15 now. I think um, I'm going to be signing him up very soon for the whole summer <laughs> because he turned 16. So they didn't come as much. But um, for Thanksgiving, I had the whole family with the three children come. And then we were all part of that together. And also, uh, you know, the migrant families. I mean, we've had so many in Chelsea. There was also a migrant family with a nine-month-old that came for Thanksgiving. So, you know, where where it feels appropriate, just including them in our lives. City Relief is a nonprofit dedicated to connecting people who are experiencing homelessness and poverty to food, clothing, and vital resources they need to survive. We show up week after week on New York City and New Jersey streets, regardless of the weather, providing meals and community to those who feel forgotten. We can only do this because of the generosity of everyday people like you who want to see a world where our homeless neighbors are cared for. To find out how you can give or volunteer and make a real impact in homelessness, click the link in the description of this episode. I wanted to ask, 
two things. One, when you were talking about John stopped receiving his benefits, were you talking about Social Security benefits? And so those were building up somewhere, but he didn't have access to them. And so um, helping get his ID, his birth certificate, on a scale of one to 10, how easy to difficult is it for someone who is unhoused to access ID and the birth certificate on their own in your experience? Oh, I would say 10 because I don't even know how we got the birth certificate. Somehow the social worker managed to get, I didn't even know how, she got um, someone senior explain the situation. He just felt pity for us and for John for trying so hard and not getting anywhere. So he said, well, print out this letter, bring John and we'll issue the birth certificate. And I went there with him and at every step, we met four different people. They all said, oh, we can't give it to you because we don't. he doesn't have photo ID. And then I had to say, well, yes, but look at his letter. The letter says from your supervisor. And even though we were supposed to walk away with it, they wouldn't print it out for us. They said, oh, we're going to mail it. Um, so it was just, I would say it's actually quite impossible if you don't have someone advocating for you. And will you tell people about this story? Do you get a reaction from them like, that's amazing, but I could never do anything like that. That feels impossible to me. Like, what are people's reactions when you tell them that story? So I think um, a lot of our friends know John. And, you know, John had a really good job. He's been to university. He's intelligent. He's bright. I think he's articulate. He's well-spoken. You know, he reads the New York Times. I think that um, one of the reactions is people start thinking what could happen to any of us. So I think that's quite um, a shock that people don't really think about until they meet him. And then they think, oh, this could be us. Like we could be 60. We could just be one paycheck away, you know, from being exactly where John, John ended up. A lot of people have wanted to be part of it, which I found lovely. So, you know, John gets invited to our parties and I would say he knows several, many people that come out and they greet him and they hug him. I don't know. I think it makes everybody feel good about good about it. I mean, even in the Buy Nothing Facebook community, when I first had John, people were saying, you know, if you need anyone to take him out for coffee, we'll take him out. I mean, he didn't want to really go out with others. I think he trusts my family and my friends and everyone who's been in our home. But at that time, he wouldn't randomly go off with people. But like my mum comes to visit from the UK. They're both the same age. And that's fun because every day, I, I mean, I'm working from home or in the office and the two of them go off for lunches. Um, and, you know, and John has his money, so, and, and quite a lot of it. So they go off and he pays his own way and they get to try out all the um, restaurants on the Upper West Side. I think it's beautiful. Uh, you think about you being dedicated to this work, right? Even in this situation, specifically with John and interacting with him in a way that doesn't just change his life, doesn't just change yours, but then there's this ripple effect to even the people that are you know, in your life and like, man, I want to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. I see this beautiful thing that's happening and I want to be a part. And so you're making this change for them as well, which is so mm-hmm. amazing. You have also started a nonprofit, right? And so I think about all this thing, all of this that you're doing to create such change. Could you tell us a little bit about the nonprofit and kind of what your vision is f- for it in the future? Sure. So prior to 
um, volunteering, you know, this regularly. So even now, um, you know, when I started my new legal role, I it was a prerequisite that I had to volunteer on Wednesdays and I had to be away from my desk for three hours. And, you know, and the, the company embraced it um, and it, it, they said it was their values and they supported it. But prior to this, I used to volunteer just, you know, um, I might have some refugees over through a friend who, you know, they need resumes done. And so I'd put my hand up when I could, but it wasn't with this much intensity. And it was, when I say easier, it, it didn't seem, you know, they, they, they weren't people on the street. There were people that were asylum seekers, refugees, you know, they had homes and they just needed help getting jobs. During the pandemic, I just started doing more. I started doing more here. I started j- just volunteering more generally. And I had a um, community of people that were always, you know, wanting to to donate money or donate things or or um, purchase things off Amazon lists. So the nonprofit was set up just to make, to give people, you know, something back, like the donation receipts and things like that. That was the original idea for it. Then when it came to writing the mission for it, it really became, and it still is now, it's to really create servant-hearted people that give with joy. They're generous with joy, whether it's your your time or it's your your finances or it's things that you've got, but it's to be giving joyfully, you know, not like as a burden. And so if you go on the website, you'll see that literally we have, you know, ways to get involved, volunteer opportunities, things that we're looking for. You have city relief everywhere because I'm able to do things through my nonprofit, which, you know, city relief couldn't do alone. For example, for the migrant families, you know, buy all the clothes, the shoes, the underwear. Um, so I think that works really well. But I just want to get everybody doing something and everyone realizing that no matter what your situation, what kind of work you have, how demanding it is, you can get involved somehow. Um, even for children, like I've had schools come forward and they want to do things. So I had one school and they all wrote Valentine's letters to a homeless outreach. And then two Thanksgivings uh, ago, we had another school that baked apple crumbles, 50 of them. And then we gave them to three shelters. So I just want everyone to to believe that they can make a difference and it, and it doesn't take a lot. It's the smallest thing, you know, an hour or two of your time, $20, like all of that can make a difference. So I heard you mention that your workplace completely embraced the fact that you volunteer on Wednesdays, you wouldn't be at your desk for three hours. That was part of their values. And then recently you brought a team out of colleagues from work and volunteer together, correct? Has that yeah. um, had effect on your colleagues? Has that had any effect on the culture at work? So um, I'm at MasterCard and they have this most incredible culture. They have, you, you know, they celebrate and recognize people that volunteer and they incentivize us. So if you do so many hours, you, you can get um, like a gift. So, you know, for Every 40 hours, you get a certain amount. So I have like these two gifts coming to City Relief because of that. Um, and they also match fund donations up to, 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 to a lot, I think, a large amount. I've spoken to other um, and other friends that, and they say that their employers don't do that. 
So it's encouraged um, my team, you know, the head of my team, he had asked to do this and organize it. And I think we, we're going to be doing something with Sushi really once a quarter. And they loved the experience. And what I found was so many of them actually just went straight into life care. So there I was explaining it was like a little step. They literally just went straight into it, got their phones out, filling out forms, and also just became really frustrated with how hard it was. Um, they commented that like one is um, a guy flew out from London actually. A lawyer came out from London for the for this just for this, and he said that it, it was one of his most favourite days um, that he can remember recently because he got so much out of it, um, so much unexpected out of it, and you know he just he could, can't wait to do it again. So what I would say is. I think it impacted everybody. It will again when they come back again. But I think what happens is you do it, you have this experience, you want to get involved, and then you go back to your desk and you've got a million things to do. Yeah, I think that's a that's an amazing that's the amazing effect of what a volunteering can do in being out there and being a part of what we do. So I have someone say like, "Man, this was like one of the best days." Um, I think is really really is encouraging, uh, even as someone who's there out there like regularly, like day in day out. You know, when we have volunteers come and like just by the end of the outreach, their eyes are just lighting up and they're like, when can I come back or when can I do this again? And seeing that that desire to come be a part of what we do is really, really amazing. Do you have and obviously you, you've, you've mentioned John and the, uh, and the family in the Bronx that you've, you've connected with. Are there any other stories that kind of stick out as like ones that have deeply impacted you? Um, and I'll say just, you know, just what whatever the outcome might necessarily have been you know i think sometimes we have these really really beautiful moments and beautiful stories um and sometimes there are some that are a little bit more heart-wrenching but it's all a part of you know this this the service that we do so is there any other thing that kind of sticks out as like that was a big impact for for you so there's this wonderful elderly man who goes between florida and new york and He's been coming to City Relief for years and he's not ready to go inside because I think he's just comfortable where he is because he's just worried about all the dangers, um, you know, in the shelters. And I get that. Like, I don't actually encourage anyone to go into a shelter to tell you the truth because, you know, at least they have their things with them. They could go in there and come out with nothing, which would be just terrible. But we have a very sweet relationship and we talk about what a future could look like with him in a home or in a room. And we laugh and we giggle. He thinks I'm bold in the suggestions I make, but I don't know, just that relationship's really special. And I just love seeing him when he's, he's in New York. There are so many people that come, oh, here's one. So here's a guy who has been just trying forever to get his birth certificate. Um, he's from outside of the country. I put my legal hat on and I said, you know, I chatted him to him for ages, didn't really know what his story was because he's friendly with City Relief. You know, I was just like being friends with him. And then one day I said, you know, can we actually help you with anything? And he said, oh, I don't have my birth certificate and I don't know how to get it. So I put my like legal hat on, wrote a letter on his behalf. Um, and I just said, you know, we know him, he comes here, you know, I'm a lawyer. 
And then the absolute miracle happened. <laughs> Two weeks later, we actually got his birth certificate. Now that was a miracle because that doesn't really happen. So that's opened so many doors for him. He's now applying for his passport. So it can't be Puerto Rico. Um, but anyway, he's applying for his passport and he wants to go back. Um, so that was like a huge, it was just a huge win. <laughs> awesome. I think, uh, I'm pretty sure I know who you're talking about as far as the uh, the guy that goes back and forth between New York and uh, and Florida. Yes, it is Daniel. Daniel, Daniel okay. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, is, uh, he is amazing. He has such an amazing spirit and he's always just full of joy and and I, I, whenever I see him, he's like, brother, can I get a prayer? And it's just like a prayer for strength. And But it's just an amazing uh, time we always get to have. You know, when I got John off the street, I really just wanted to get Daniel off. Oh, wow. But he was just not having it. And then when I'd say to him things like, you know, but Daniel, like, he's like, well, you know, I think God wants me to be here. I was like, yeah, but God speaks to people. He's speaking through me right now. And he does not want you to be here. Yeah. We would have those conversations. I've just accepted that. We're on a journey. We'll never really know what might seem so obvious to us is not mm. obvious to people that have had so much hardship and trauma. So it's just like meeting him where he, he's at. Yeah. And so I think that really speaks to, you know, and you, you kind of mentioned it before, even just and when we come up and set out outreach, sometimes people aren't even looking for a specific thing or getting to a specific resource, right? Um, but we have this opportunity to just be community with them. Um, and sometimes that looks like, feeling like, okay, I know here's something that would be really great. Here's a direction that'd be great for you to go in. But for whatever reason, they're just not, you know, not willing or not ready to take, take that step. And so it becomes just a, a relationship where we get to kind of carry the burden alongside with them and, and carry some of the, the frustration and different things they're going through, even when they are trying to make the next step. Sometimes there's still just a lot of weight um, and a lot of uh, emotional and kind of mental weight that can, that can, that is a part of, you know, doing this work. Um, can I tell you about Martin? Yes, please. So he's like this um, really sweet guy, probably in his 60s. And one day um, I just, you know, I, I got used to meeting him and I realized, you know, that he has family, he says in New Jersey, but he wants to write them a letter. And every time I say, oh, I'll bring the envelope and stamp and let's post it. He's like, oh, no, 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 I'll do it. So I've just accepted that, you know, we are where we are with him. And I don't know if he'll ever send the letter. So on this one occasion, he came with a bag, like a tiny bag. And he said, you know, obviously I'm Bindia. And he's like, Bengali, <laughs> will you do this laundry for me? And oh my gosh, it just warmed my heart. Like I would never trade that interaction for anything. I love the fact that, well, I think it's funny that he called me Bengali. I think it's quite sweet. Um, but I love the fact that he um, he could bring me his laundry. They, you know, you can't take those things for granted. Most people would never ask anyone to do that. Anyway, luckily we had some new clothes. So we just said, oh, don't worry about that. Here are some new clothes instead. And then um, another time he came up with a newspaper to give to me and he's like shouted out, Ganges. <laughs> I don't know. I love that. And I was like, it's not. Bengali, it's not Ganges, it's Bindia. And he's like, oh, but aren't those all countries? It's like a country. Anyway, this puts the biggest smile on my face. And the funniest thing would be if he he like remembers and knows it's Bindia, but just says these other things just to make your day. Like he just knows <laughs> it wasn't you. <laughs> oh, 
So, so yes, yeah, so I was just going to ask, what are, are there any ways again, cause just we have the beautiful stories, sometimes the, the more, um, kind of struggles that, that people are going through, um, and just kind of the toll that can, it can be on them, but then also that we carry, you know, as, as walking alongside and doing life with them. What are some of the ways that you have, you've been mindful about how to care for yourself so that you're able to come out day in, day out and, and really continue to serve our friends? Well, that didn't come easy. So there were periods at the beginning where I didn't really do that. Um, and I started leaning quite heavily on city relief people, leaders, to help me understand, you know, how I could walk away from an outreach and just get on with my life, knowing that people were sleeping on the streets and how hard it is and what a journey they have in front of them because they don't have you know, ID. So the more I learned about their situation and how hard it was, the, the more I learned about the system, then the harder it became. But I think I'm at a place now where I just feel like anything that I can do is helpful. And helping one always matters. And so just keep moving forward, keep showing up, keep helping when I can, and also keep bringing other people along. Like I just want to keep bringing people along because I don't know, there could be someone else that I brought along who becomes as passionate. That I, there are many volunteers that actually started coming with me and now I might not come to the Bronx a couple of times and they still show up every week. And I just, I just love that. I love that ripple effect because as we said earlier, the community is for us as well as our guests. So these people now feel something, you know, feel part of something that's bigger and a way to give back. That is, that's a perfect segue as we wrap up to our last question, which is, what is one thing that an everyday person listening to this podcast, what, what's one thing they can do to make an impact on ending homelessness? Well, I don't want to sound clueless, but I'm thinking that even $10 a month can make a difference. So I feel like I have people donating to my nonprofit that are just giving 10 a month. And, you know, I think that I, I, it makes a difference. I know it makes a difference city relief. So I feel like everyone should be donating something and don't ever think, oh, it's not worth it because the problem's so big because actually it all adds up and it makes a difference. The other thing you could be doing is, you know, come come out and volunteer um, and see it for yourself because I think it will be a very special experience. And you know, if you're working during the week, do it during the weekend. And then, you know, just know that you can also share that with other people. You can share it with your organization. You know, social relief is so accommodating, um, trying to find, you know, availability for groups and people to have the best experience when they get there, a realistic experience. But I think I would just, I would sign up to volunteer and I would give, you know, give something. I think that um, three hours or $10 a month, those, those things do make a difference. A hundred percent. I agree. Well, it's been lovely to yeah. talk to you, Bendia. We could talk all day. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Hey, you. Yes, you, listener. Have you ever been walking down the street and someone who appeared unhoused approached you and asked for money? Do you ever walk to the train in the morning and see someone holding a sign asking for help? What do you do? Well, don't worry, we are here to help. Click the link in the description of this episode for a quick, 
easy to use guide packed with helpful tips for how to engage with your neighbors experiencing homelessness.